Hi there, and welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. Tune in this week for the conclusion of our series, Christian Family Foundations. What is my responsibility? Where Pastor Brandon Soche takes us through four different responsibilities laid out for us by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We hope this is a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. So we're in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 9. That is our text for this morning. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9 say, and this is the uh, New American Standard Bible, in case you're confused because it's a little different, but uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So this morning, um, by way of introduction to this text, I want to briefly look back at um, what I shared in the beginning of this series because it's been a couple months. Um, the reason why I entitled this Christian Family Foundations is, as I alluded to during the song set, is um, the world, things are shifting and moving all over the place. Our lives feel uncertain at times. The world gives us lots of different ideas about how we should do things, how we should think about our roles and our um, identity and our responsibility and our part to play in this world. And it, it goes from the smallest parts, the most intimate parts of our relationships and our internal life to the largest parts of, of government and church hierarchies and, and businesses and all these different things. And God, the world has all these different philosophies of how to do this, and God has given us his word as a foundation on which to stand. There are many different ways that we could live the lives that we have. But we want a rock that's solid under our feet. We have debates going on within our own Southern Baptist Convention about 
what methods we should use for this or that and how we should handle certain controversies and things. And we saw lots of bickering and arguing in, in Anaheim, un unfortunately, this last week. But the ultimate question that our convention and our church and our families and our own individual lives we need to make is are we going to stand on God's word and what he says or are we going to try and figure things out by our own wisdom? And I can guarantee you our own wisdom will fail us. I think we see the effects all around us of human wisdom and how well it's done. But God's wisdom is ever true and everlasting and it is a firm foundation on which to stand. And that is a theme of my life lately is where are my feet standing? Am I on God's rock? That's why there's a mountain here. God is the mountain, unmoving. His word is the firm rock under which we can place our feet. Everything else is sand and temporary, but God's word stands forever. And so we're going to look at some things today in this passage, and some of them are countercultural. Some of them aren't going to be easy for us to put into practice. Some of them are not what we are going to want to hear in our lives. But when we trust, we have a decision to make. Will we trust what God has to say or will we try and figure things out on our own? So we have four categories this morning. I have four points and each of these four points are four roles that have responsibilities attached to them. Because the, the title this morning is, What is My Responsibility? And so the first role that has a responsibility is children. What does Paul say to children? We don't often think about children's responsibilities, um, unless we're thinking about like Asher's responsibility is to take out the trash. Um, but children have a responsibility. And what is their responsibility in this text? Paul says to them, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. It seems simple, straightforward, self-evident even, right? Children, obey your parents. Um... As I was thinking about this sermon and preparing, I was reading through uh, uh, Dr. James Dobson's Dare to Discipline. Anybody read that book? It's a good one. Dare to Discipline. In that book, he talks about in his early days as a child, um, I don't forget what exactly he said his degree was in, but he studied child psychology or child development. And um, there was compete, all these competing views on um, child-rearing methods and um, philosophies. And the, the prevailing one when he was writing this book was the 
free-range children. Just let children do whatever you feel like doing. Don't correct your children. You could hurt their self-esteem. Don't, don't stop, stop Billy from punching Susie. He needs to be free to express his aggression. And once he gets that aggression out, he'll naturally become a, a peaceful, kind person. <clears throat> You're not convinced. What? Um, that's not exactly the, way, the, the, the prevailing notion of today. But there's something similar in our, in our culture today. Not to get, uh, I'm not trying to be political, but this is a, God, a godliness issue. Let your child be whatever or whoever they want. Let your child choose their identity and their uh, future, their gender, whatever your child chooses to be. That's who they need to be. That's the, and this is an old idea. But here's the deal. As Dr. Dobson shares in his book, Principles from the Word, children are not called to just figure out for themselves whatever they're supposed to do. Imagine, imagine, if you will, for a second, the weight placed on a child's mind to have to figure out for themselves what's right, what's wrong, what they're supposed to do, what their identity is, what their gender is, to make all these huge decisions in their lives as a small child trying to figure these things out with no input. The, 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 the world says, I can't put input, that's oppression. I have to just let them be free to do whatever they want. But think about the weight of trying to make all of those decisions. You adults who have chosen careers and chosen spouses and chosen colleges and chosen houses and chosen all this stuff, you know the weight of making those choices. It's hard. It's a little scary. And those careers and spouses and, and uh, colleges are, and houses that you're going to buy, those are choices that pale in comparison to what's your identity? What's right? What's wrong? Those are weighty things, and those are not intended to be on the children's shoulders. Those are intended to be given to them by their parents. But we're going to get to the parents here in a little bit. Um, that's all a, a digression, sorry. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's children's responsibility. I wanted to take a second. So this word obey in this text, it's a, the, the New Testament's written in Greek. And the Greek word that we translate as obey is the Greek word hupakuo. There's, you can, when your kids aren't listening to Hupakuo, uh, and they'll be like, what? Uh, so, this word means, it's two words combined, two roots, Hupo, meaning under, or subject to, and Kuo, which means hear, listen, give attention. So, obey Hupakuo is to submit yourself under giving attention and listening to another. 
So children who are still at home with your parents today, I want you to listen. This is for you. <laughs> this is for all of you children out there. Your job is to put yourself under what your parents are saying to you. That's your job. You're not the boss in your household. God should be the boss in your household, and he has put parents in authority. So children's responsibility, you don't have to worry about paying the bills. Children, you don't have to worry about where your next meal is going to come from. Shouldn't. Your children, you don't have to worry about uh, how to pay the mortgage. or you. The only thing you have to worry about is putting yourself under what your parents say to you. You listen and you obey. That's children's responsibility. Father's Day, good message on Father's Day. Amen, fathers? Children obey. That's your Father's Day message. Children obey. But why? So I say it's putting yourself under and listening. That's the two words. It's under listening. So we hear, children, submit yourself to hearing your parents. Hear their commands and do them. Hear their advice and consider it. For you older kids who are growing up and getting out of the house, you still hear your parents' advice. Consider. Take it into consideration and put it into practice. Hear their correction and change your behavior, your attitudes. Hear their restrictions and don't do those things. It's a very simple concept, but it is difficult to do. I'm not going to deny that it's difficult to obey. I see my kid doodling back there. I hope he's listening. I'm not going to pick on him too much. Yeah, all right. <laughs> because here's the thing. Here's the thing, children. Uh, what does he say in verse 2 right up here? Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. This, Paul's referring to the Ten Commandments. This is the first of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. It's the first one that has a promise attached to it. There are a few others after that, but the first commandment God gave to his people that has a promise, he says, if you do this, I will do this. He says, if you honor your father and mother, it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. Children, obeying your parents leads to a better life because your parents are older than you. They have done more things. They have learned a lot of things. And chances are they're a great deal smarter and wiser than you are. Teens, I know that's hard to believe. I know it's hard to believe your parents are smarter and wiser than you. My dad always told me when I was a young, arrogant teenager that th I, I thought he was the dumbest guy on the earth. And he always told me, he said, the older you get, the smarter I'll get. <laughs> and he was right. The more I had a life experience, the more I realized my dad was right about that. And I was the jerk. 
I'm just telling you, teenagers, your parents are really wise. You can't see it right now, but it's true. I will also add, he says, obey your parents in the Lord. Those are not throwaway words. It's, it's not a throwaway phrase. In the Lord points to the element of and the motive for obedience. Should parents command children to do things that would displease the Lord, the child must not obey. There are some limitations, but this also points to the motive for obedience. Children should be obeying the parents because they seek to obey the Lord. This is the motive for parents as well. Parents, we want our children to obey because we want them to obey the Lord. I tell my kids this all the time. It's my job to teach you to obey me so that you will learn to obey God. Because that's far more important than you obeying me, is that you would obey God. I want to share a story um, thinking about this, this concept of obedience. This is an article I read years ago uh, written by uh, Pastor John Piper. He says, last week I saw two things that prompted this article. One was the killing of 13-year-old Andy Lopez in Santa Rosa, California by police who thought he was about to shoot them with an assault rifle. It was a toy gun. What made this relevant was that the police said they told the boy two times to drop the gun. Instead, he turned it on them. They fired. I do not know the details of that situation or if Andy even heard the commands, so I can't say for sure he was insubordinate. So my point here is not about young Lopez himself. It's about a what if. What if he heard the police and simply defied what they said? If that's true, it cost him his life. Such would be the price of disobeying proper authority. He says, he goes on to say, I witnessed such a scenario in the making on a plane last week. I watched a mother preparing her son to be shot. I was sitting behind her and her son, who may have been seven years old. He was playing on his digital tablet. The flight attendant announced that all electronic devices should be turned off for takeoff. He didn't turn it off. The mother didn't require it. As the flight attendant walked by, she said he needed to turn it off and keep and kept moving. He didn't do it. The mother didn't require it. One last time, the flight attendant stood over them and said that the boy would need to give the device to his mother. He turned it off, and when the flight attendant took her seat, the boy turned his device back on and kept it on through takeoff. The mother did nothing. I thought to myself, she is training him to be shot by police. The opposite of the promise that God gives of honor your father and mother and it will go well with you and you will live long in the land is 
If you don't learn to obey proper authority, it will not go well with you. You may live your whole life never bumping up against the police with a toy gun and getting shot because you didn't listen to them, but you will one day bump up against the ultimate authority of God, and you will have to learn, have learned to bow before proper authority when it is right and in place. So, um, second point here this morning. In light of Father's Day, uh, this point is for you fathers. Slash parents. I put a slash in there because I do believe Paul is speaking to more than just fathers. He's speaking to the parents. But what he says to the fathers, I believe, is more poignant for fathers than it is for mothers. What does he say to fathers? What's your responsibility, fathers, on Father's Day? Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, why does Paul say this? I think it's because um, he singles out fathers here because fathers are the head of the family. Biblically, we learned that in the previous chapter of this book. Um, and the domestic authority flows from the father. God, we have God's authority, and the father is the head of the household, and his authority flows down, and the mother has authority over the children, and that is the structure that God has given to us. And so the, the mother has the authority over the church, and let's be real, my, my wife does most of the disciplining in our household because I'm not there. But God says that the responsibility of it is on my shoulders. But then I also think he singles out fathers, and what he says is because he says, don't provoke your children to anger. Because who's more likely to be full of anger and, a, a, and aggressive towards their children? Probably the fathers. Not true across the board, but generally I think it's true that fathers generally tend to be a little more harsh and mothers tend to be a little more self and, um, overindulgent. And so the father needs to hear not to provoke your children to wrath. Don't provoke them with stressful commands. Don't provoke them with unreasonable blame or uncertain temper. Don't push your kids to get angry and bitter through harsh treatment and unpredictable flares of temper. That's a father's responsibility. He says, instead, what are we supposed to do? We're not supposed to push our kids to wrath and anger, but instead we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the father's responsibility. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. I see this as two sides of the same coin. Discipline, if you will, is the more negative side. 
in my mind. When there's something wrong, there needs to be correction. There's discipline that takes place. And then the instruction is the positive side. Where instruction takes place as positive teaching through words and through actions. And I will say this. Uh, other translations say admonition instead of uh, instruction. I think this word instruction, it, uh, it means more than words. You can't just say words to your kids and, and not live it, but it means words. And it says instruction of the Lord. It is a father's responsibility. I'm not here this morning to pile on you fathers on Father's Day, but I'm just telling you what God says. It's the father's responsibility to instruct his children in the way of the Lord. It's not enough to drop your kids off at church and hope something sticks. It's not enough to tell them one thing and not live it yourself. It all has to happen, fathers. They need to hear the truth of God's Word from you. They need to see it lived in you. And they need to be instructed by you. Fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's your job. Your job is not to help them discover themselves. Your job is not uh, to let your children become and do whatever they find in their heart. Your job is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to share another story about obedience. Thinking about obedience and, and, and uh, discipline. And, and I shared the negative, sad story already. But this is a, a different, a more happy story. In his book, Run With the Horses, Eugene Peterson t says he saw a family of birds teaching their young ones to fly. And the young swallows were perched on a dead branch that stretched out over a lake. And one adult swallow was pushing several chicks along the branch. And he would push and push and push. And the one on the end would fall off. And just before it would hit the water, he would take flight and go. And then he would start pushing and pushing and pushing. And the next one would fall off and fly. And then he got to the last young one, and he was pushing and pushing, and this young bird decided it wasn't going to be bullied. <laughs> and it's clutching that branch, and it ends up hanging upside down, clutching onto the branch, and the, the, the adult bird is, starts pecking at it, pecking at its feet, and it's just fighting. Because it did not want to be bullied around and get pushed off this branch. It would rather endure the pain of getting pecked by its, 
apparent than the uncertainty of flying. But eventually, just as the mature swallow knew, when that young swallow let go of the branch, it was able to fly. That is the relationship of a parent to a child. Our true freedom comes from obedience. Birds have feet. They can walk. They can cling to branches. But God made them to fly. There are lots of things that we can do in this world that may feel right in the moment, and it is the job of parents to share the true purpose of life in the Lord with our children and push them towards obedience. And it's the job of the children to trust that their parents are pushing them in the right direction and to obey. And that's the responsibility of parents and of children. So we're going to look at a couple, two more responsibilities, two more roles this morning that don't have to do with the family. But it is the, there are, it is the last two roles that Paul gives us that I think do give us more solid foundation for our lives. But before we get into that, I want to read part of the scripture here. I want to read this next scripture. In verse 5, he says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Now, I don't want to get too far into the weeds of the slavery issue. But I do want to address it. Paul is talking to slaves and masters. And I want to point out two things before we get into the roles specifically of what Paul is not doing and what Paul is doing explicitly and implicitly. Paul is not in this passage, endorsing, condoning, or advocating for slavery as an institution. Some, let's admit, some in our founding era of our nation used passages like this in that way to endorse and condone the slaves that they held. But Paul is not doing that here. I believe Paul is acknowledging that the, the state of some believers when they found Christ. Some, when they heard the gospel message, were slaves and they believed. 
Some, when they heard the gospel message, were slave owners, and they believed. And now they find themselves in this difficult place. And Paul is giving them instruction. He is not suggesting to people that they become slaves or slave owners. Explicitly, he's giving them instructions about their lives. But I believe implicitly, he's also pointing, he's planting the revolutionary truth seed that would lead to the abolition of slavery in every culture in which Christianity has flourished. And I will say that the truth that he puts in this passage, and we find in other places in Scripture, those truths are the only truths in human history that have led to the abolition of slavery in every culture where they have grown and taken root. Now, with that out of the way, here, let's look at how we can apply this text to our lives today. What are our responsibilities today? He says to slaves, or I will say slaves and employees, because, praise God, we don't have slaves, but we have employees. We are employees who work for other people, right? We give of our time and effort for the benefit of another, essentially. It's voluntary, but we do this thing. So what does he say to us who work for the, the uh, benefit of another? He says, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Those who have people in authority over them in their workplace, just as we talked about with children obeying their parents, we're called, if there's an authority over us, we are to listen and obey. Now, we're not slaves, so we don't have to obey at the pleasure of whatever is asked of us, but I think the principle here applies. Who are we working for? That was Paul's message. Who are you working for? He says, submit to your earthly masters as to Christ because that's who you're working for. He says, obey the Lord. He says, you are, a, you are slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. We... Uh, we need to reclap, recapture this idea of being slaves to Christ. I know that in our, in our culture today, the word slave is a very touchy word. And this subject is touchy. But I was reading, I will, I'll recommend a book to all of you, Slave by John MacArthur, as I was preparing for this message. And he mentions... In the, the New Testament, 
over and over and over again. Apostles, disciples, even the very brother of Jesus, all over and over they call themselves the slave of Christ. They see being God, Christ's slave as more honorable than talking about whatever accolades they might have. And what does it mean to be a slave of Christ? What does it mean to be a slave? My shirt, this is the Greek word, doulos. Doulos is a Greek word that means slave. And a lot of times in our New Testament Bibles, and, and uh, New King James, the King James, NIV, ESV, uh, even the New American Standard, um, most Bibles, they will translate doulos as bondservant, servant, something like that. John MacArthur's point in his book is, there are, he says, there are six words, I believe he says, six words in Greek that could mean servant. Doulos is not one of them. Doulos is a technical term for a slave, a human being owned by another human being that is every part of their production and their life and their energy belongs to another. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not endorsing human being slavery, but I am saying if that's the term that's applied to us over and over, we are slaves of Christ and slaves of God, we need to take that back into our lives. We are slaves of Christ. Every part of our being belongs to Him. Every effort that we make, all, even our leisure time, everything is His. I hate to break it to you. I fall into this too. I get tempted, that, especially when you work for the, the Lord is your vocational job, you know. It's very easy when I go home to say, now's my time. I gave the Lord His time. But guess what? Even my off time. That's God's time. Every moment of my life, every breath is God's. That's why I have this shirt. It reminds me, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. We are his, his workers. And so when we work in our workplace, when we do whatever we do out in the world, that should be our mindset. That's what he's telling the employees in this text. He says, you belong to Jesus. You belong to Christ, and you should be working to please him, not your master, not your employer. I read a, a story about, I read some statistics about um, the American workforce. Workers around America frankly admit that they spend more than 20% of their time, seven hours a week, at work goofing off. That amounts to a four-day work week across the nation. Almost half of Americans admit to chronic link, uh, I don't know what that word is. I just copied and pasted it, sorry. Calling in sick <laughs> when not sick. And not and, and doing it regularly. 
one in six Americans regularly drinks or uses drugs on the job. Only one in four gives work their best effort. Only one in four works to realize their human potential rather than merely to keep off, keep the wolf from the door. And so in light of that, so if that's the state, I, now, I was on uh, Facebook last night and I found a thread of um, work tweets or work-related, uh, look at these 12 pictures that show you the state of work in America or something. There's people, All these people complaining about how crappy work is and how it's terrible to have to work all this time and all this stuff. That's the attitude of the world is, I hate to work, I don't want to work, I want to just sit around and, and I want to do the bare minimum to get by and I want to just kind of coast through life and I want my own free time instead of working hard. How brilliantly, if, if Christian people, when we were in the workplace, we decided, I'm not going to be like that. I am going to take responsibility to work for the Lord. I don't care. I don't really care about what my boss thinks. I don't really care about what the owner of this company thinks. I don't really care about that. What I care about is, does, is God pleased with the work I'm doing and my job? How much would Christ shine in a world that looks like this, that no one cares about their job. Everyone's complaining and doing the bare minimum, and you go into work, and you work harder than anybody, and you put all the effort in to not please your boss, but to please the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. And that is what God calls us to. A young man, a skilled mechanic, was driving a visiting pastor from his hometown 50 miles across the country to another city. En route, they passed a huge factory consisting of perhaps 12 uh, buildings scattered over several hundred acres. Do you see that brick building over there behind the gray stone one, the mechanic asked? I work on the second floor on the south side. There are 74 of us in that department. As far as I know, there's only one in all that crowd who ever goes to church or tries to live a Christian life. Sometimes I have to remind myself that as far as that department is concerned, I'm all there is of the Christian church. If I don't do good work, then the church has failed as far as those men are concerned. If I can't be relied upon, then the church is undependable. If I'm careless... And some poor, unfortunate soul may have to pay for the church's carelessness. I, it's pretty serious business being the church in the midst of 75 other people. That's our responsibility. is to be the church. And to live our lives in a way that looks good to Christ. So let's look at this last role. I'm not going to say a ton about this because Paul doesn't say a ton about this. The last role is masters or employers. And what Paul says to employers, masters, he says, Masters, 
do the same things to them. I think that's important. Everything I just said about employees and slaves, he says, do the same things to them. If you are in leadership and authority in your job, if you're the boss, work for the Lord. Don't just seek the, pot, the, the, the good of the company. Do that. But seek God's will in what you do. Seek to live and work and, impl- and lead in such a way that you do God's will in your business. What else does he say? He says, give up threatening. In that uh, list of things I saw on work, I wish I would have thought to put some of these up on the screen, but there were several threatening texts from bosses. You better come in tomorrow or you're da-da-da-da-da. Christ says, Paul says, don't, don't threaten people if you're the boss. And he tells us why. He says, don't threat, give up threatening because knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. And there's the seed. Remember I talked about there's a seed here that undermines slavery entirely. He says, masters, you have a master. And God has no partiality. You're not any employer, business owner, leader, boss. You're no more important to God than your employees. Not God loves them, values them just as much as he values you. So treat them with, with respect and with kindness. Don't threaten. Don't abuse authority because we have a master. We talked about this in Sunday school. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So even if you're a king, Jesus is your king. Even if you're a lord, Jesus is your lord. And I don't think there's any kings or lords in this room, so I'm not, I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but if you have a, a position of authority, recognize that you are under authority as well. So those are our four roles. Children. You're called to obey your parents. That's your responsibility. You're called to honor your father and mother because that is what God has promised. He promises things will go well for you if you, things will go better for you if you obey than if you don't. They might not go great, but it will be better than if you didn't obey. I promise you that. The second responsibility is the parents and, and fathers. Fathers and parents are called not to provoke their children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Employees are called to work for the Lord, to give their effort to serving Christ, not just their earthly bosses. And masters and employers are called to do the same and to recognize their own master in heaven. Now, I wanted to find a a good illustration to close. I searched on the internet for a while, because Scott's always telling me, you need better illustrations. You're too, I don't know if I'm boring or what, but I had a few that were good. I thought they were good. So, (laughs) 
But I couldn't find a better illustration than what Jesus says. And thinking about all of these things that we've talked about this morning, Jesus tells a parable. That's an illustration. And he says in Luke 6, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Jesus tells this story about two competing houses. And we see in there two competing worldviews. He says, the one who hears my words and puts them into practice is like one who builds a solid house. And when the storms come, it doesn't fall down. But the one who doesn't do, and it's interesting, he doesn't even say the one who doesn't hear my words. He says the one who has heard and doesn't act accordingly. You guys are all sitting here listening to me right now and hopefully listening to Jesus. That's not enough. Not just hearing it. We've got to live it. He says, if, if you don't put it into practice, you're like the one who built a house with no foundation. The winds came and it was gone. So what are we putting as our foundation? Are we going to put into practice these things or not? And here's the thing. Here's my invitation to you today. Maybe you're here and you've heard all this stuff your whole life. And you've tried your hardest to put it into practice. Things haven't been perfect. That's okay. God doesn't promise that life will be perfect if we put his principles in, into practice. There's a lot of peace. <laughs> Sorry. ADD. Uh, God didn't promise life would be perfect if we put his principles into practice. He promised that that would be a foundation that is solid when the storms come. Storms will come. Life won't be perfect, but if, our, if we're putting God's word into practice, the storms will blow against our lives and we will not be destroyed. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you have heard these things, but you've never really put them into practice. Or maybe you've never heard these things. There's hope. And here's the thing. I put, as uh, the Lutherans might say, I put a lot of law on you this morning. I told you a lot of do's and don'ts this morning. That's what responsibilities are. It's do's and don'ts, right? I put a lot of commands out there this morning and I want you to hear this though 
If you're a Christian, if you're a non-Christian this morning, these commands are not how you become right with Christ. God's law is meant to point out where we have failed. I know everyone in this room has been or is one of these roles at some point, and you have failed. And that points us to our need for Christ. I don't want to let you leave here today just hearing all the do's and the don'ts. I want you to hear that in the midst of our struggles to follow God, we will fail, and God knows that. And not only will we fail, sometimes we will do it intentionally. We will rebel against what God says, and we deserve punishment for that because God has clearly told us what we are to do, and many times we go, I don't want to do that. But Christ died for our rebellion. Christ died to make us right with him. And he raised to give us new life. He got up out of that grave to give us his righteousness. We can be made whole only through Christ. These commands, I do not want anyone to leave this room today and think, if I want to be a good person and I want to be right with God, I got to just obey or I got to teach my kids or I got to work hard at work or I got to that's God's will for your life to do those things but you won't God will love you no more and no less for having done those things or not done them if you are in Christ you're a new creature and now you have the power to do those things But if you're not in Christ, you have no power to do them at all. So I invite you, if you're not in Christ this morning, come and find Christ. We're going to take a few minutes. We're going to sing one of the old invitational hymns, Just As I Am. Because here's the thing. As I said... We have these commands, and they're good. But that's not what makes us right with God. We come to him just as we are, and he makes us who he wants us to be. So this morning, fathers, it's Father's Day. I'm not piling on you. I'm pointing you to your responsibilities, but I'm also pointing you to the one who has the power to help you to do them. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.